Welcome to the show. In this one, I talk to veterinarian Dr. Michelle Oakley, who stars in the National Geographic reality television show, Dr. Oakley, Yukon Vet. The show follows her and her family around as they administer veterinary care to domestic and wild animals. Many of Dr. Oakley's most memorable moments have involved her family. From close encounters with a massive Kodiak brown bear to a rotting ruminant and a reindeer, close calls, gross-outs, and heartfelt moments are typical when you surround yourself with the ones you love in a place that's constantly challenging you. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine and pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed at the Company Man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, Aquila Space, and Northern Knives, Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. That's buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. And if you have a chance to rate or review Crude Conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. Okay, back to Dr. Oakley. Dr. Oakley says that when she's working, she has to adapt veterinarian medicine so that it can be applied in the field in Alaska. And oftentimes, that means being a jack-of-all-trades. When she's outside of a sterile clinic, in remote areas, and it's 20 below, and her hands are freezing, she's just trying to give the best care possible with the tools and the medicine she has. In some cases, she says it might not look great, but she's doing the best she can. Dr. Oakley's daughter, Maya, also joins the conversation. Maya was 14 when they started filming Dr. Oakley, Yukon Vet, so she's been there through all the change and all the growth of the show. So here they are, Dr. Michelle Oakley and Maya Oakley. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude Conversations. Listen more, then you talk. Go to work! You just finished filming the new season of Dr. Oakley, Yukon Vet. Did you think the show would make it to 10 seasons? No. It, it's kind of, everyone always asks, like, how did you get started? And it, it literally was like an email looking to see if I would, you know, if they could find um, someone to film some wildlife vet work, you know, with for like one episode. And then the production company lucky dog films came and you know i thought it was going to be a one-off and i was like sure that'd be fun you know i, I love what i do i want to share it and they came they're like do you want to do three episodes and i was like okay and they're like and we'll pay you and i was like okay <laughs> <laughs> and then it just it just kept going and 
the hard thing is you never know if you're going to get renewed. That's the reality of reality TV and, and, and really most series, I think, now is like, you know, you just you have a contract, but you don't know that you're going to get renewed until, you know, you finish one season. They have what's called a green light. If you make it through one or two green light meetings, you're on for the next season, but you, you never know year to year. So it's it's kind of exciting that now we're we've hit 10 seasons and now we're waiting on that green light again for season 11 because we just mm -hmm. finished. And um, if we get to season 11, that's going to be our 100th episode. So that'll be fun, too. So, so you now have more seasons than Seinfeld. <laughs> really? <laughs> Definitely yeah. not more episodes. We've only done in our earlier seasons. We only did, I think, eight episodes. But now we're doing more like 12, which is fun because people would always complain when this when this season was over, like we only did, you know, it's over too fast. But now that we're doing more like 12, I think it it helps to drag them on to the next season. <laughs> mm -hmm, for sure. And I feel like series that have um, less episodes in a season, those episodes are much more thoughtful. Yeah, I think and I think ours have evolved, too. I mean, I've got Maya here, my daughter, who's I've got three daughters on the show. Maya's 22. Sierra, my oldest, is 24. And, and Willow, the youngest, is 17. And they've been on the show since the start. So I don't know, Maya, what do you think? It's been a long haul like this. The episodes have changed a lot too, I think. Yeah, I feel like the focus of the seasons changes every, every, when we go into every season, we never really know what the focus is going to be, but it's changed so much since I was, I was 14 when we started filming. And I mean, it was a lot different than it is now, but I think they've definitely gotten better in quality and yeah. they seem to get better every season. So yeah, we like this last... This last season we've had, or last couple of seasons we've had, um, we kind of poached some crews from The Amazing Race. And that's fun because they're like used mm -hmm. to, you know, like our our practice is a mobile rural vet practice throughout Alaska. And sometimes we go through the Yukon and we do some international work. So we are like running and gunning. Like we don't, there's no faking it. There's no do-overs. There's no time with animals to be like, could you do that again? You know, so <laughs> yeah, it's great to have these folks that are used to kind of travel in the world and, you know, they know they got to get the shot or they don't. So it's been fun to meet different crews over the years. And yeah, I agree. I think, I think the seasons have changed. They've definitely improved. They've, the cool thing about 10 seasons with a family vet practice is you do watch the family change and evolve. Like mm -hmm. Maya said, she was 14 when we started, she's 22 now. Like people are floored every release of the new season at how, you know, the girls are all grown up, you know, and now my oldest daughter Sierra just applied to vet school and, you know, Maya's an amazing vet tech in her own right. And it's just, everyone has just changed and grown. And, and of, of course the shows have changed and grown too. They're, they're really, this past season, I think they were great, like season 10 that's airing now, because there was so much depth in each story and there mm -hmm. was a lot of winter episodes. So finally, like we, we've had some winter episodes, but finally they got out there and followed us when we go do cabin calls on snowmobile. And when we go, you know, we went and did a travel to a bunch of Southeast Alaska communities by boat that don't have vet services. So we went, chartered a catamaran and went out. And that was amazing for people to see you know, the environment of, of Alaska, the coastal environment. And that's mm -hmm. kind of a big figure in the show, like just beating the environment to get to deliver vet care. I and mean, that's a huge part of what we do. <laughs> Maya, when you were 14, were you nervous about going on these, these trips or were you looking 
you know, toward your mom? And if she wasn't nervous, you weren't nervous. Um, I think at 14, when we first started, we just, it was almost like I didn't ask a lot of questions. I was like, okay, this makes sense. But I was a 14 year old who loved attention. So it's kind of just like, yeah, of course the TV crew is going to follow us around. Like I've been waiting. <laughs> of course they just showed up. Yeah, but it definitely, it felt temporary then. But I mean, it, it just keeps happening. So I don't know. When I feel like when I was younger for the work, it was a lot different because I couldn't do a lot, but we were always just there trying to do what we were told and trying to get involved. <laughs> so it's it's been different because another thing that I was thinking of is like how the seasons change um, each time one passes. It's like for the past few years, Sierra and I were gone for college. Oh, so right. yeah. it's gone from being really family focused when we were younger to like mostly just my mom. And now that we're both graduated college, it seems to be turning a lot back towards focused on um, more family things yeah. in the family practice aspect. So I mm -hmm. love that about the new season. Because I think people can identify with, through, with the show through each one of us. You know, they can identify with me, the, the vet side of it. They can identify with Maya, who, I mean, you're great at helping animals, but also sometimes you're kind of squeamish. Sometimes, like, you know, an abscess pops, it gets on Maya. She's like, oh, my God, like my life, you know. And, of course, a lot of people feel like that. And then there's Sierra, you know, who's really into the science and, you know, now wants to be a vet. You know, and there's a lot of people out there, a lot of kids or a lot of people who, who know that feeling of wanting to make that their own career. So then mm -hmm. there's Willow, who's in and out, kind of our feral mountain child you know and shows up sometimes <laughs> comes sometimes but really is to her own her own drummer so it's i think there's a lot for people to to share you know and identify with in the family you know i've watched a few episodes and something i appreciate about you is your professionalism was there ever a point maybe early on in the show where you thought about the message of the show versus what reality television can often spiral into um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a, I'd say our, it's a balance of what they show in terms of professionalism and, you know, sometimes we're kind of goofy, to be honest, like, you know, there's a lot of humor in the show, which, mm -hmm. which is our lifeline when you have a, a, a job, I think anyone who works in a, a profession that's up and down and really intense, you know, whether you're in the ER, human medicine, you know, a lot of the vet clinics, you, you know, you're doing puppy exams and it's all happy woman in the next minute, you've got a patient that's crashing or you have, you know, an older dog that's coming in for end of life care. I mean, those, that is a roller coaster of a day and it's emotional no matter how professional you can be. And so I think humor really helps us get through it and, you know, teasing each other, joking around, being silly. Um, but then also, you know, balancing that with wanting to, to show that, yeah, we're also professionals. We're doing the best possible medicine we can in these really remote and difficult situations, you know, where it's not often a clean, sterile clinic. It's, you know, you're out in the bush, you know, it's 20 below. You're just trying to get stuff to barely work. You're trying to keep mm -hmm. your hands from freezing. You know, you're trying to deliver some kind of care and it might not look great, but you're doing the best you can, you know. So there's a mm -hmm. there's a lot to a reality show when you know, your career is on the line. Like it's, it, 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 
I didn't really know getting into it what I was getting into, to be honest. You just sort of assume, because that was, you know, eight or nine years ago, and I hadn't seen a lot of reality TV, and I was pretty naive, but thank goodness it was Nat Geo, and they're very, they're very animals first. They're very, they don't, we don't need to create a bunch of extra drama because there's enough in what we're doing every day. And, you know, it's, it's not about misrepresenting what anyone's doing. It's about showing everybody as rock stars like they are in these tough environments and tough situations. So I'm, I'm really happy with the way the story is told. It's so close to, you know, what's actually happening and it's, um, it shows us trying to be professional, but it, you, you're not always, you know, mm -hmm. we're doing the best we possibly can in some tough situations and things go wrong and they don't cut that too much. That's, that's kind of the good and the bad of it is, you know, I'm, a, I'm not a specialist. I'm kind of this jack of all trade veterinarian. I have to deal with all kinds of species in all kinds of situations. And I don't have the option often to send my patients on to a bigger practice, like a, a referral center, mm -hmm. but when you can't do that, then you got to kind of take it all on. And so, you know, I do a lot of working with other colleagues and trying to make sure that I'm, you know, doing the best I can as a generalist. So that that part's hard, too. But I think Nat Geo does a good job of, of letting me tell that story and explain, you know, yeah, I haven't done, you know, this particular procedure. For example, we do a procedure on a dog this season who um, he, he got his foot caught in a trap and he's an amazing, beautiful dog that was a Malinois, he was out, he's a ski dog, his his owners are backcountry skiers, and he's out with them all the time, and he kind of wandered off and got a, a frozen foot. And so how we manage that without going right to an amputation, there's, there's a lot to it. Like we use fish skin, we use specialists, but I'm having to do it all, but through kind of telemedicine and support from from other experts. So that's, that's pretty typical for, for how we have to practice. Your description that you just gave of what you do, I feel like there's a lot of overlap with battle medics. You know, they're they're on the front lines or they're running to, you know, their fellow soldiers and doing what they can in the moment. Yeah. I know that might be a little bit of a, um, it's a little bit more intense yeah. to be in battle, but at the right. same time, there are similarities. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah, for sure. What they're doing is more intense, but I do, I do feel a little akin to that. You know, we have our little mobile mash unit set up, and mm -hmm. you know, some of the work we do is international. We went to Australia during during the wildfires, and volunteer. We raised money and then volunteered. We took some of the technologies that we had, like fish skin, that's really good treatment for burns that we had learned to treat a patient. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that. There's you know, trying to adapt veterinary medicine, which is like totally taken off in terms of the high tech aspects of it and what's available for your pet and trying to adapt that down to what we can people can afford or what we can actually get to work in the field in Alaska. So it's kind of fun mm -hmm. too having a MacGyver stuff and make things work and you know do it within a crazy environment whether it's temperature or remoteness. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of moments in the show where you put yourself in these risky situations but you know that's from my perspective which is a viewer's perspective when you think of a risky or a sketchy situation, what do you think of? I'm going to make my answer this. It's hard from my perspective. I don't know. What do you yeah, see? I feel like when you get in into whatever situation, you maybe not the first thing on your mind is the safety aspects. I feel like you're just yeah. trying to get in and get your job done. But I can understand how from the outside, a lot of the situations seem risky. I mean, typically, it's not always shown, but typically we have... Uh, 
a little meeting mm-hmm. to start to um the safety briefing the sa- a safety, safety meeting briefing to discuss, <laughs> discuss everything that could possibly go wrong and get everyone an out plan an out plan especially when we're working on wildlife yeah. like um when we're working on muskox they're mean little little buggers so yeah, so everyone needs to like have their head on a swivel kind of thing and know your path to run and jump out jump yeah. the fence whatever you gotta do you, and we've had so. to do that we've definitely had to run yeah, and jump the fence you know and i like it, it it is for sure it's dangerous work when you're working with bison and muskox and moose and bears i mean there was a time when we were working with a huge kodiak brown bear it's on the show and that brown bear stood up and i could see my daughter sierra and behind her i could see a standing Kodiak brown bear about 15 feet from her, you know? And so it's then, you know, of course it's moments like that where I'm like, what have I done? You know, why, (laughs) you know, child service is going to show up at any moment when they see these shows. (laughs) Fortunately, the kids have made it to 21 and, you know, but, but, you know, there's, there are those moments like where it's like, what have I done? But also, you know, my kids are freaking tough and they know how to watch their own back and they know how to get out and they, they, What's cool about it is they're constantly making suggestions to me now as we're working on animals, like, hey, try this, this might work. You know, it's like, and it worked, you know, like I'm kind mm-hmm. of out of ideas. I'm a little flustered. I'm a little, little, you know, like kind of frazzled in the situation. And I desperately need someone else to kind of be like, hey, what's, what about this? And like Sierra and Maya, you guys do that. It's, it's pretty darn cool. And that's, that's been fun to see them evolve and, and survive. Survival mm-hmm. was good, so. <laughs> but I, like I just as I'm talking, I'm looking at my finger and it's like bruised, and I got bit by a bison last week. It's like yeah, that that hurt. It's like not too many people have been bit by a bison, but it freaking hurt. But honestly, one of the more dangerous creatures I work on, and I say this all the time, is not the bison, and the muskox that are ch- chasing our you know four wheeler and trying to flip it over. It's horses, horses. I mean, I love horses. I grew up with horses, grew up with riding, but I think it's because not only are they so big, but we trust them and you kind of let your guard down that on them with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're prey animals. They're going to kick and they can headbutt you and they can swing around. And, you know, I've had way more horse close calls than with anything. And, you know, and, and of course we love it. So you think that people owners think, you know, that's my sweet horse and that's my pet, but they don't realize, you know, what I'm going to do is going to, turn that horse into having it to feel like it's got to defend its life, you know? So it's, yeah. I'd work on a bear any day over a horse and I'm not kidding. Like (laughs) even the Kodiak, even that Kodiak bear. Yeah. Any, any of them, give me any of those any day before a horse, even though I love horses and I will do it. I just kind of inwardly groan when I have to. So you run your own clinic Mm -hmm. from your home in Haynes Junction in Canada. Yeah, that's kind of evolved, actually. So that's how it started is we were in Haynes Junction, Yukon, for years. And then kind of last maybe three years, the show, kind of the year before COVID, actually, and for sure the last couple of years of COVID, we've been mostly in Alaska. The last couple of years of mostly in Alaska has been because of COVID and because my youngest daughter has been going to high school in Haynes, Alaska. So... So that we kind of, you know, with being in such a small town in the Yukon, in Haynes Junction, Yukon, Haynes, Alaska, which is the next town over the border, had a much, you know, kind of a bigger school, more for her, more sports, you know, all those kinds of things. And and 
you know, instead of a town of 800 or so, we're talking about a town of like 3000 or more. Mm-hmm. That's a big difference, you know, for a lot of things and even for my practice too. So um, I still do lots of work in the Yukon, but we've pretty much swiveled our base of Dr. Oakley Yukon vet to be actually out of Haines, Alaska. So it's, it's always fluid. I travel all over, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and have either of you been to the Hammer Museum oh, in Haines? That is so funny. Yeah. I love the Hammer Museum. I've only been once. I oh, would I've been love three to times. go again. I love that Every guy. Time, yeah. He's Hammer amazing. He's great. It's you really got, cool. Don't miss the Hammer Museum. And you know what? It's so funny because like the first four or five years that I was coming to Haines, I would always go to the Hammer Museum and it was always closed because they used to have like kind of, I would be coming at like kind of off season times and they were open more, you know, during the summer. Yeah. And I literally finally left the guy a note where I'm like, I really want to come to your museum. Can I please come? And he was like, oh yeah. <laughs> and in fact, I've got a vet call I need you to do. So because I was the vet, he opened special for me to come in and see his no dog. No way. That's <laughs> yeah. great. I was so happy. But yeah, no, that, that museum is really really incredible for such a small place and lots of smithsonian stuff in it like he's the guy's really cool <laughs> yeah my brother has a place in in haynes alaska oh, cool. um i have never been but i know that he lives pretty close to the wolverine farm oh dave paul that's his name i was trying to remember hammer museum dave paul runs that yeah um so the Wolverine farm you're talking about, I love that there might be a Wolverine farm, but it, it, he, there's a wildlife park that's just outside of Haines a few miles and that's run by Steve Crushell. It's called Crushell Wildlife Park. And, um, and, and Steve has two or at times he's had three Wolverine there. And um, we actually did a lot of work with the Wolverine this past season. Hey, Maya? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there. I was just over there and oh, yeah. he brought out the Wolverine to come see me. Very cute. Yeah, it Wolverine and the weirdest thing, which you, you have to watch our last season, I think it was in season nine, where he was showing us how he puts the Wolverine in a trance. Uh-huh. He like no word of a lie. He puts his hands in the Wolverine's mouth and rubs its gums. And then the thing starts <sighs> drooling like crazy and just sits there like, you know, like when you find that special spot to scratch on your dog and he's like, doot, 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 and his back leg starts kicking. Yeah, that's what Wolverine do if you rub their gums. Don't do no it. No way. Don't try it. Yeah, nobody try that at home, but that is literally, and how he figured that out the first time, I don't even want to know. <laughs> I kind of do now, though. Yeah. <laughs> and in your experience, how elusive are Wolverine? Oh, yeah, like I've seen in all the time, and for the first nine years of my career, I worked as a wildlife vet for Yukon government for like fish and wildlife. And I was out flying around in helicopters doing all kinds of wildlife work for, for nine years. And I saw like, two or three wolverine you can see tons of tracks there are lots of wolverine around in the north but to actually see one running around or in the wild is so so rare so to get to go to crushels and see see them close up is is pretty exciting and we've worked on a couple they they tend to grow a funny little tumor called a mast cell tumor as they get older and steve's got two older guys jasper and Banff, and they they had matching mast cell tumors that we had to remove recently so that was kind of interesting <laughs> I watched this documentary a while back about searching for for wolverines. Like the, Ooh, this cool. guy was just looking and looking and looking yeah. and um he almost saw a wolverine and that's kind of how it ends and I was yeah. like geez <laughs> yeah. this this animal must be extremely elusive. Oh yeah. I I have, like I have one wolverine story where I was driving in the past between Haines Junction and Haines Alaska. One of the most beautiful stretches of highway you'll ever drive. It's 
160 miles of just wilderness. And I was up in the pass driving and the snow in the pass in the winter can be 15 feet high. So it's way above your vehicle. You know, you're just 20 feet high. You're like kind of driving down this little narrow path sometimes if, it, if you have a really big snow year. So I was driving down that narrow path where they, you know, they plows had just cut a snow path and I could see something running down the road ahead of me. And then it kept trying to jump to get up on the snowbank to get out, but it couldn't because it was so high. And I pulled up and it was a Wolverine. And I mean, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. it. I rolled down my window and just slowly tried to pass it. And it was running and looking at me and growling, like the sound it was making, like hur, hur, as I was going by. And, <laughs> oh, and then it finally jumped and like literally made it up like the whatever, 15, 20 feet and climbed its way out. It was so cool. Don't those little things take down like caribou and yeah. stuff? They're They'll wild. take down an adult caribou. This little, what are they? Like they're like, like 20, 20 to 40 pounds, like a big weasel. Yeah, they're- Wow. They yeah, are- they jump on the back, crawl to the front. And yeah, grab and grab them by the neck. Wild. Yeah. yeah. They are some. They're they're you know what their scientific name is? A little fun fact for you. What is it? Gulo Gulo Gulo. I love that. G-U-L-O G-U-L-O Gulo Gulo. It means glutton, glutton in Latin. <laughs> it kind of sounds like a soup. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but they're just the biggest, baddest, you know, not only predator, but scavenger. They're just gluttons. They'll just feed till they can't move. And you also work with the American Bald Eagle Foundation, right? Yeah, sometimes when they need when they need work. We used to be work out of their facility. They have a beautiful museum and facility here in Haines. Um, now we've got our own place, but yeah, they're here in Haines, Alaska. They run this amazing Bald Eagle Festival mm -hmm. every fall. It's coming up here in a couple of weeks, early November. Really cool where we get like I don't know, three or 4,000 eagles from all over Alaska and the Yukon all congregate here in Haines for their own little eagle conference. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's around salmon and in open streams, right? But it's, mm -hmm. it's an eagle conference really is what it is. What's it like to work with a bald eagle? Uh, you know, you, you want to come out the other end with no talons in you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've got eight little knives on their feet and they're not that little actually that will once they close their talons on you, that's really, really, really hard to get them out. And so that's, you know, it's, and you're trying to work around and take care of, you know, they often get wing injuries or eye issues and it's very easy to forget yourself and suddenly you're leaning over their talons that are, you know, their feet that are being held. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's a little bit of, you know, trying to, to, do your work and not get injured but it's it's cool i mean of course they're such icons and their eyes are so beautiful and you know they look so regal and it just feels important when you're working on them you know like you want to to me the raptors i really get my heart because i just i want them to fly away like i don't like to see them in captivity it's i find that so hard you know even mm -hmm. even if you know when they're getting a good quality life that's wonderful but i still really struggle with it so it's like i really feel motivated when we get them in to get them back out so and we've had quite a few eagle releases and the bald eagle foundation does some rescue work around too as well as you know they they have a lot of ambassador animals that they provide amazing homes for so they're they're pretty cool to work with and these eagle these bald eagle when they come in what what usually is the reason um you know it really depends on the timing certainly we see a lot of animals that get tangled up in things they couldn't fish hooks for example is one mm -hmm. um 
used to be a lot of lead, like a lot of people who are using lead shot on ducks that goes right to the eagle because the eagle then eats the duck and, you know, the because ducks will eat stuff all, even if you're not shooting the duck, they'll eat lead off the bottom of the pond. They'll have issues. The eagle then eats the, the duck and then they start having lead poisoning issues where they, lead toxicosis, where they get real weak and they can't, you can't figure out why and they, you know, until you do a lead test, which is tough to do. So certainly we see weakness and we're not, you know, we have to figure out why. And of course we get animals get zapped by power lines. Um, and then that usually causes, you know, you end up with fractures or amputation sometimes, which you hopefully don't. So it's, mm-hmm. it's mostly human caused when we, when we bump into them, obviously we're, you know, they certainly fight and you may see them if you're out, you know, around Alaska, you'll see them grabbing onto each other with their talons and tumbling down to the ground. But, you know, most of the times we see them, it's unfortunately like tangles with people, not other eagles. Mm-hmm. When I think of eagles in captivity, I think of the eagle at the the Alaska Zoo in Anchorage. Oh, yeah. And it has one leg. You know, this this eagle can't live in, in, in the wild, but it does have... Um, a pretty good semblance of a good life, mm-hmm. you know, in yeah. captivity. Yeah, it's that, and they're great ambassadors. People can get up close, they can learn about them. You know, like at the Bald Eagle Foundation and other places, they'll have like live fish in streams for them so they can do some natural behaviors. It's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think I work at the America, uh, at the Alaska Wildlife Conservation Center as well, which is a really cool facility down in Girdwood, just south of of Anchorage. Mm-hmm. And they have one of the oldest eagles in captivity, I think. I think he's four, we think he's like 42. They've had him at least 40 years. So um but but he's he's a pretty neat animal as well. He only has one wing, got zapped on a power line, we think, um, and had an amputation. But yeah, he's he's also a great ambassador, you know, and they, they definitely adapt. It's they do they do very well in captivity, but it's really important who's got them, that they're, you know, making sure their lives are enriched and that they're mentally, you know, stimulated and, you know, all that is really important when you're keeping wildlife in captivity. So. I feel like we have a pretty good idea of Dr. Oakley, Yukon vet and who that is, but who was young Michelle Oakley? What was she like? Oh man, my daughter's sitting right here. You're going to ask me this question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I, I don't think too different, really, just maybe a little goofier. But yeah, I mean, I grew up in Indiana, you know, not Alaska, nowhere wild. But that, of course, made me pretty excited to get to the mountains and get to wild places. Um, I was all, you know, we, we, we lived on a creek. So I was always down by the creek trying to literally catch every animal that was around because I thought I was going to save it, you know, and <laughs> trying to, mm-hmm. you know, I'd be luring raccoons into the house and trying to catch them and neighbors would be bringing me injured animals. Cause they, you know, I was the closest thing they knew to someone who was, you know, helping wildlife. And so it was, it was pretty great place to grow up. And even though it was suburbs, I got a lot of, you know, woods time and farm time. My uncle had a dairy farm. So, um, and then I went to university of Michigan and go blue and the Wolverines see Wolver- <laughs> I was destined to work with Wolverines going to Michigan. So, <laughs> um, and they had a wildlife study, going you know like when you're doing your undergrad degree bachelor of science or zoology they often have summer trips you can do to work on your senior thesis or you know help a phd student so i signed up to go to the yukon and i have to be honest when i signed up for that i did not know where the yukon was i 
<laughs> geography was not my strong point. I was literally like, at first I was like, Yucatan, Yukon, wait, is that Mexico? No, wait, that's North, right? And that's in Alaska, right? No, it's not in Alaska. So it's right next door. So, you know, it was pretty cool to um, come up there and see everything. And I, I remember just being like, oh yeah, this is gonna be like Call of the Wild, or this is gonna be like, you know, this is gonna be, I'm gonna be like Jane Goodall. I mean, I'd grown up watching the Nat Geo Jane Goodall shows and I was just, mm -hmm. you know, think she's the best. I got to meet her when I was a kid at a book signing. My, oh, oh yeah, my, I was like, so Jane Goodall's the best. And my mom knew I loved her. And then she came to Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. So my mom pulled me out of school and we drove a couple hours up there and went to meet her. And I'll never forget that, you know? So, um, and then to get to meet her years later when she did her movie, Jane, a couple years ago, we got to go, hey Maya, that was amazing. We got to go to the, oh no, Sierra went, sorry. I get you two mixed up all the time. But we went, <laughs> we got to go to the Jane premiere and um, got to meet her, so that was pretty awesome. But yeah, it was just, I wanted to do what she was doing. And and I'm, it was great that Nat Geo had women out there on the show back then, you know, in the 70s and 80s showing mm -hmm. what a lot of women weren't doing yet or we didn't know about, and that was really motivating and to see it it was like okay i'm gonna do that too then you know so um you know it's good to get to do my own version of of a nat geo show but it's also awesome to get to just you know follow your dreams of working with animals and helping animals working with wildlife and i feel like we're you know every day i just feel like so lucky like these are things i want to work on these are projects i want to get involved in and how you know and how can i help and mm -hmm. I feel like now with the show too, people are kind of like, oh, do you want to keep doing the show? It's like, yeah, I want to keep doing the show. But I also now, so many people are reaching out from watching the show and they want to help too. And I think that's something that's been fun to have this platform to figure out how we can all work together and motivate people and get them to care about some of the, you know, Alaska and Yukon places that we care about. So I don't know. That's kind of my next thing, I guess. Hey, Mai, mm -hmm. what's your next thing? in life yeah yeah see i just I, I try and do a bit of a snowbird thing is that what it's called <laughs> yeah snowbird yeah i like, like to I, I do like to be here in the summer but by the time the snow falls i would like to be um back in california you want to migrate back down south yeah i like to yeah. migrate a bit so yeah i'll hopefully be off off to there soon and then come back when filming starts again. Yeah, you're living the dream, the snowbird dream. From your perspective, Maya, have you noticed any changes in your mom? Um, I feel like it's so hard to see because I was 14 when it started and you really don't pay attention to your like parents' personality. <laughs> you don't understand that they're people yet. Yeah. So, um, I'm not too sure. You guys were so like embarrassed of me all the time. I yeah, mean, well. I, I shouldn't say were. <laughs> it's really no, it hasn't changed, has it? Well, it's just like. <laughs> I remember one time I had to, I had the girls had a parent teacher conference. Do you remember that? And I was out. You showed up with, yeah, that was. I, I was out darting bison. I was out in a helicopter <laughs> flying around darting bison. And I was like, I have to make this parent-teacher meeting, guys. Like, we, we have to wrap it up to get back. And, of course, like, weather and everything. So we're, like, flying. And we landed, like, actually not too far from the school at an airstrip. 
ripped over there. I was in like my coveralls. I was actually covered in blood because we'd been like dealing with blood samples and poop because we'd been collecting poop samples. And I come like <laughs> busting into this meeting and uh, like Sierra, I know for sure was like, oh my God, my mom is so embarrassing, you know? And the teacher was like, what were you doing? I was like, oh, I was out darting bison. He was like a science teacher. He was so excited and wanted to talk all about that. And not, you yeah. know, she was like, oh, you're so embarrassing. I can't believe it. <laughs> you know, as you get older though, um, that's a parent like hero moment, you know, like once you, um, at least for me, coming you know, and when covered I, in poop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, you're just, you're, you're within that career and you are doing it at like the highest level and you are also finding time for family. I think that that's, that's something that maybe you don't realize till you get older and you're doing something that you're passionate about, but at the same time, you're still making time for family. Um, which is a really difficult thing to do. Yeah, that's that's always been tough. And I think that when you grow up and you start passing the same age or hitting the same age as you remember your parents being, and you're like, oh, okay, like <laughs> I'm there. And I can kind of understand where they were in that moment better because I'm that same mm -hmm. age. And you start appreciating it more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I've, I, I feel like you've stayed pretty, pretty well the same. Same jokes. Yeah, same Definitely. jokes. <laughs> but I mean, it's been consistently busy. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. There's always, there's always an adventure, always yeah. a animal needing saving. So I feel like that's all <laughs> stayed pretty And you've consistent. always been dragged along mm -hmm. kicking and screaming. Yeah. It's really just, I mean, I don't know, you you seem like you're just, it, it's kind of cool having my daughters along, obviously, and not just along, but like I said, like kind of amazing, you know, technicians and, you know, animal helpers in their own right. But it's it's been fun to see Maya's evolution. I don't know if you even realize it, but you know, when you're younger, you're, you've always been like the most empathetic for animals, like the most, you don't want to see them hurt, but that that is so useful in the clinic, you know, like you might not be like Sierra jumping in to help in surgery as much or running the anesthesia machine or, but you're the one jumping in to comfort them after surgery and to, you know, you're the one that notices and reminds me they're going to need, you know, they need pain meds. They're uncomfortable. Something's not right. Like you pick up on all that. I love that. That's been really cool to see how in tune with animals you've become and and, and to see Sierra, like how she, you know, that, that's my daughter who's 24 and applied to vet school, like how, like mm -hmm. she's evolved to, wasn't sure what she wanted to do, maybe vet school. And now it's like, yeah, I want to do that. And now she's running the dart gun, you know, she's darting things with me and she's, you know, critiquing my work a little bit and, you know, pushing me a bit, which, you know, <laughs> that's only going to get worse, but it's, it's a good thing too. <laughs> Maya, what, what kind of jokes does your mom tell? Um, I mean mom jokes i would think there's like pretty dad jokes are pretty famous but she's got some mom jokes she also does a lot of i guess crude jokes oh gross. come on now yeah they're they're, they're they usually are. pretty gross they are and like they will go over my head a lot over a lot of people's heads because they're just like sciencey but it's good that she laughs at them she she's entertained keeps herself entertained See, as you can tell i'm making myself laugh all the time they are there do you have any examples yeah what would be some examples 
I don't know. I feel like they're all just kind of in the moment things when she. Yeah. The, oh my God! It's puns. That's puns, what it is. right? Need examples. They're Pus, all puns. Pus puns. <laughs> yeah. I was going to an interview on the Hallmark Channel not too long ago, and they were like, "Dr. Oakley, we're, we're excited for you to be on the show, but could we ask you not to say any bad words or talk about abscesses?" And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, okay." <laughs> I, I I love that you have to preface an interview with that. And I'm like, okay. No, no puss and cuss. I got it. What else? What else you got? But it was just, it's just so, I don't know. I forget myself and I do crack myself up. And like I said, I feel like it's the only way to stay sane when you're in this like kind of really up and down emotional kind of a profession, you know? You know, I, I wrote this down earlier when you were talking about Jane Goodall, cause I was, I was interested in it. And also because I'm a big fan of Jane Goodall, but do you remember what you said to her when you first met her? Oh, totally. I was like, I, oh, I remember. I walked up to her and I was like, hi, my name is Michelle and I'm going to do just what you do. I'm going to go out in the wild and help animals. And, and I remember her exact face smiling at me and I remember her looking at me saying, and so you shall. And I was like, yep, there it goes. And so I shall. She said it in like this really nice little British accent she had. I, like, it was so cool. And yeah, I won't forget that moment. And the cool thing is, is I get, you know, kids come up to me with these bright eyes saying stuff and they want to do it. And it's like, and you shall, you know, you can do it. <laughs> there's a, there's a corny pun. You can do it. But it's just like, those are, you know, they can, we all can, we just need encouragement, right? We just need someone to see it in us and tell us we can, and you're going to mm -hmm. do it and you, you freaking will do it. So, you know, um, that's pretty fun to be able to do that now for other people. What made you become a vet? Um, it was a pretty natural evolution. You know, it was just like, I loved animals. I loved being around them. You know, I, like I said, I was always trying to save and help anything that looked slightly injured um, around, you know, where I grew up. I remember being at the, my uncle's dairy farm and when the vet would show up, it was like, oh, cool. You know, what's, what's he going to do? And you know, how can I help? And so, you know, I had a lot of good vet experiences when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And then because I was so interested in wildlife and conservation, it, it did, I have to say it did fall off a bit. You know, I went and I did a zo uh, zoology degree at the University of Michigan. I went and did that wildlife study in the Yukon wildlife project. You know, I got out of school. I worked as a chemist on the North Slope of Alaska. I did a couple other things after I graduated university, because I was sort of like, how do I get back to wildlife? And I really want to do wildlife and I want to do, I'm interested in zoo animals and all this, but it, I didn't even know that I could do both. Like I hadn't really thought it through. And then that started kind of coming together where, you know, I was working for fish and wildlife a little bit, you know, kind of just as a summer tech and I could see where some of the projects needed a vet, you know, like for anesthesia, for one, like for going out and darting animals mm -hmm. and putting on radio collars, yeah, that, that data is so critical for understanding how that population is going to survive and ensuring that it does survive. You know, if you're looking at bison, you need to know where do bison go and then you can protect that habitat. You need to know, mm -hmm. do they have any diseases or not? You got to get your hands on them to get some samples. And so all of that, you know, I could see where a vet could fit in and then it suddenly started, you know, just kind of looking into it more. It's like, okay, I can do both things. I don't, I don't need to choose. And that was a bit of a revelation that, that I could do that. And, but then it was kind of, you know, a lot of, not a lot of people did that. So it was a bit of trying to make my own way, you know, go, go to vet school, do a lot of, you know, summer jobs and rotations where it involves zoos or wildlife work. 
And there's only a handful, still a handful of wildlife vets in, in Canada and, you know, a couple dozen in the U.S. that are really doing wildlife work. So there aren't a ton of people to, to talk to and learn, you know, learn from or work for, but I was fortunate to be able to do that a bit. So, mm-hmm. um, and being in the Yukon helped, you know, I could work with a lot of these wildlife folks and, you know, the, I, I was a vet, so they figured I was an expert, you know, one of the, <laughs> one of the mm-hmm. first jobs I had out of vet school was to work with wolves on a collaring project. And they're, you know, we get in a helicopter and they're like, okay, here's the dart gun. And I was like, what? You know, I'd never shot a dart gun. So, but I was lucky to work with some great biologists. Bob Hayes is one of them, really well-known biologist in the Yukon, Albert, a few of these guys who were like, this is how you do it. Showed me, you know, I started reading and learning about it. And then suddenly I was the one darting out of the helicopter and helping, you know, I was learning from them, but then I was also, Hey, we can do this to make it safer. We can do this drug combination. That's going to be better for the wolves. And you know, all of that, it was a, it was a great team effort. So I was pretty lucky to meet people that were open to that early in my career. You know, something that I keep thinking of is how you can work with things like uh, pustules uh, and, and not be grossed out by it. Was there a moment like early on in your career where you were like, oh, this doesn't gross me out? Never. It has. Ne- I, I honestly, I, I literally challenge anyone to try to gross me out. I don't think it's possible. Have you ever heard me grossed out of anything? Spiders gross me out a little bit. No, I think that... They just creep me out. Like the closest I've seen is that rotten rumen and that Oh yeah, that was gross. Reindeer. Yeah. Oh, that's like a tongue twister. Rotten rumen and a reindeer. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it was <laughs> that was reindeer, disgusting. That yeah. smelled so bad. But even then, I feel like you were laughing about how bad it smelled. Yeah, it just it. smelled bad. It was funny because it was so rotten, was and everyone else was falling horrifying. over, gagging. That poor thing had eaten a bunch of a couple garbage bags. Re- reindeer are like goats. They're like they're like the goats of the deer world. They will eat anything, anything. So. You know, ravens will grab garbage bags and they'll drop it in their pan. And then the reindeer will run over and eat a full-size black garbage bag. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't work in a rumen, which is their four-chambered stomach. It gets ends up getting stuck in there. And then we have to do have to do surgeries where you take, you know, take all the garbage out of their guts, literally. And it, yeah, it's not a, it doesn't smell good. <laughs> but we've had, we've had a lot of, I mean, we... I mean, we deal with abscesses on a regular and it's not like these little Dr. Pimple Popper things. We're talking about like a gallon of pus can come out of some well, of these Dr. cattle. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty big sometimes. Well, she doesn't get nothing with a gallon of pus coming out. And I've definitely had that many times. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to like one upper. I don't want one upper, but I will. <laughs> if you're listening, Dr. Pimple Popper, I challenge you to come to come <laughs> deal with one of these freaking cattle abscesses yeah she would abscesses are fine they're they're like satisfying and fun yeah except when they get on you that's when i get grossed out but yeah i feel like i don't get grossed out that easy either just like well actually grossed out but i don't like i wouldn't like faint or anything no (laughs) it's usually the big guys that come in and faint right yeah we've had we've had a lot of fainters or near fainters and they're almost always the big tough dudes you know and then it gets a little bloody and suddenly they got to sit down. <laughs> I love it. Abscesses are satisfying and fun. I think that that's, that's got to be a brand new sentence. Yes. 
This is the best interview, Cody, because you're letting me puss and cuss. See, you didn't preface it with no puss and cuss. So what do, I'll try not to cuss, but at least we're able to talk about the prosperity. No, you can cuss. Okay. This is, this is, yeah, full on. <laughs> they usually beat me on TV. And then I get, I get angry messages from fans who are like, there were so many beeps. Now my kids know you were swearing and there's so many beeps. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. It's a bad example. And then, then there was some debate about if they were actually fake beeping me to try and make me look tougher. So I'm like, <laughs> I don't think I actually cussed then. I really don't. I think you guys were fake beeping me. And they're like, no, you were. You were saying bad words. <laughs> were you one of those kids who, who animals just always gravitate towards? This is for me and Maya. Uh, it could be for both of you, actually. I don't know if they gravitated towards me. I feel like I gravitated towards them. Like even, I feel like similar to my mom, even if there's an animal that was fine, I was like, I think I need to fix it. I think it wants to be cuddled. Let me set like a live trap and get this, this wild bunny who's doing fine and try and cuddle it. So get that. I mean, I would release it afterwards, but I was like, I just, I feel like I need to catch all these wild animals because I think they need a hug and then I'll let them go. But yeah, usually I was just chasing down animals, but um, I feel like a, a little bit now, since we've worked with animals so much that they can definitely pick up on who's comfortable with them, who's scared of them. Yeah. And they'll want to be, they want to be near someone who's, um, giving them some calm energy. So I feel mm-hmm. like yeah. now maybe they could gravitate to, towards me a little bit more. They do. You totally give the the calming vibe. You're also a pug whisperer, which is really useful because pugs, when you work on them, are like screamers. If anyone's ever worked in a vet clinic or owns a pug and you try to get them to do something they don't want to do, they literally scream. So, you know, Maya's her pug whisperer from lots of practice with her own pug. Oh, I can't. Daisy may love her pants. We should have Daisy may love her pants on this She'd be snorting, snarfling. You could probably not hear us over her, but. <laughs> is that the name of your pug? Daisy made lover pants. Uh-huh. Yep. You can call her DMLP. I mean, her name is Daisy. She's <laughs> DMLP. Or Dismay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's, she's definitely a character. I got her when I was 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. She's 13 now. Yeah. So she's an old girl and she's sassy and yeah. like very, she has rules that everyone needs yeah. to follow. Which she's the fun police. She doesn't like when people laugh or have fun no, or when other noisy. animals play. Yeah. It gets her really angry. So yeah. she's, yeah, we call her the fun police, but yeah. she's great. <laughs> yeah. And she makes a couple big guest appearances this season, actually. Yeah. She's yeah, a big she, part of the show. She gets attacked by Bindi a couple times. Well, she goes, she goes after everybody. She goes after our other Australian shepherd, Bindi. And then Bindi. Yeah, she really, she doesn't know what size she is or that yeah. she has hardly any teeth left. And her eyes are in two different directions. And I mean, she can barely see. It's yeah, just, but she <laughs> a has mess. such an alpha dog mentality <laughs> and she's so... Bindi does not respect it. Bindi, my mom's Australian shepherd, does not respect her alpha yeah. status. So yeah. if if you even yeah. bring Daisy in the same house as Bindi and she smells her, Daisy will start going crazy. Yeah, she gets like a fight. big 
her all her little pug hair stand up. It looks like she has a crew cut. I know, really and she funny. can hardly like she's her back legs don't work so well, so she's stumbling around yeah, trying to she, find someone to fight. And if she starts so barking too hard, she poops at the back end. So that's always yeah. entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This dog sounds like a cartoon character. Oh, she oh, is. Yeah, she she is. is. She's, she's beautiful. Wild. Mm-hmm. How about you, Michelle? Do you remember if animals? gravitated toward you when you were a kid um yeah i don't i don't remember that so much as me gravitating towards them and like forcing this forcing the struggle snuggle you know i'd be like you want love let me snuggle you so you know it's i mean reminded me of uh, when we were in Mexico with those spider at that spider monkey, oh, yeah, that spider monkey, <laughs> that, bit that you. spider monkey um, sanctuary, and I was hugging the spider monkey, and it was like letting me know that it didn't want to be held anymore. And I was like, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> it's like I love you. I was like, I don't know, yeah. probably five, yeah, six, and then it finally five, bit you. Bit oh gosh, and that then was terrifying. Then I remembered I all the different so diseases bad. she could get from a spider monkey. And I, I still think like right after I would, I gave it like a five minute break and I was like, can I please just, just hold you struggle again? Struggle snuggle you again. For making you bite me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like I, but same as Maya, I do feel like, you know, animals get my vibe. They know I want to either be playful with them or I want to help. We have a lot of animals that come in, you know, that are in really dire shape that are in, you know, either serious trauma or whatever, but they, they seem to get that you're trying to help them. Not all of them, but a lot of them. It's, it's mm-hmm. really incredible, especially the ones that come in with porcupine quills, I find. They're like, oh, somebody help me. My face is covered with, you know, needles. And so it's, it's kind of cool to, to work with animals. And, and, you know, at least some of them know you want to help. But to be honest, most of the time when I see my patients on the street, they run the other way. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no, the vet stink, not her. She she puts that thing up my butt, the thermometer, and you know, so it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunately. I, we try to make it fun. Like Sierra took fear free, uh, I don't know, fear free handling course. There's a lot of this now, you know, in the vet clinics in the new the new world of vet med, which I love is kind of fear free handling. I mean, you can't always do that. You can't always, you know do things you need to do with animals where it's not going to scare them or hurt them, but you can make some of the basic things fun, like vaccines or getting samples or whatever. And so, you know, we've been trying to, you know, cheese whiz, cheese whiz is your friend. You can put like a line of cheese whiz and they just, (laughs) and while they're doing that, I'm like, got my thermometer in the back door. I've got two vaccines and we're done, you know? So it's, it's, it's kind of fun to to make it more fun for them. I love that. Yeah. The reason I, I asked that question, um, to both of you about if animals gravitate towards you because my wife always jokes with me every time that we go to a house with cats or just one cat <laughs> they always find me and they're always just <laughs> sitting right in my lap i thought cats do that to people that are either allergic or don't like cats do you like cats i love cats oh, yeah okay. i like okay, cats good because but i just kind of like animals in general you know oh, I, I love dogs as well yeah but i find some cats we had a cat that whenever someone would come over who was either allergic or hated cats he was like oh no and now you're going to learn to love cats and i'm going to be all over you (laughs) so this next question is is for both of you do any animals still scare you no matter how often you work with them spiders i'm afraid of spiders (laughs) 
I'm so afraid of spiders, but I'm getting better. She had to do sur- surgery on a spider. Yeah, I had to. I've had to work on a lot of tarantulas, and one of the first things I did actually when I was I used to work at Calgary Zoo. I did like an internship, and then I did I was an associate vet there. And one of the first patients they brought me was a huge tarantula, and I thought it was a joke, like someone had told them, and it was laying on its back and it was kicking all eight of its little legs, like vibrating them, and I was like oh my God, get a slipper. Like, let's kill this thing, you know, but it was, it, all it was trying to do was get its skin off and it was like shedding its skin, but it was, it's really dry in the Calgary area. And so it just needed some misting and the keeper just kind of like, you know, rolled her eyes at me and was like, this is what you need to do. <laughs> so, you know, it was, I, I kind of learned to, to get over it for that, but I still, we've had a few spider scares, which is why I mostly stay in Alaska because we don't. I have... love spiders. Spiders oh, are fine. God. They're so never they're cute. Kill one. No, never ever. No, you don't want bad spider karma. Never kill a spider, and not because it's going to rain, because you don't want bad spider karma. But they will get in my hair. They want to nest in my hair. I think I give off spider pheromones, is the thing. So, so spiders gravitate toward you like cats gravitate toward me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Actually, there we have it. So I do attract animals. I attract spiders because I. When we were in Australia, they have these huntsman spiders. I don't know if any of you've been to Australia or Australian. What in the world is up with that spider? It's like, fortunately, it's not poisonous, but it's as big as your hand. And it literally wants to get on you. It wants to use you as a jumping board. It wants to crawl across you. It wants to hide behind the picture and jump out on your face when you're like not expecting it. Like they are, they are literally like, they must have like mean little brains where they want to scare you. But the huntsmen were just everywhere. And then the, there's the funnel web. We had a funnel web spider outbreak when I was there. And that I just... Well, you already said that... Well, horses don't scare you, but to no. work on... Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Because I feel like there's me. some... Uh, uh, Birds. Actually, parrots scare me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Parrots scare me. Because they bite me. Is I... it because they can talk? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, I love that. But they, they definitely can take a finger off, you know, and... And they can pick up on your energy and you can't really, you know, they, you really can't hide your fear. Oh, birds are funny with that, yeah. with their head tilting like a yeah. dinosaur really quick. Right. Just getting a read on you, but mm-hmm. yeah. The parrots will bite you and I've never done, you know, whenever I have to work on a parrot, they don't like it. I'm not their person, you know, they want to, there's no, it's very hard to work on that. You know, avian practices probably have it down, but when you kind of, you know, when you do a little bit of everything, you know, I'm, I'm not very good with birds. You know, I try, but they, it's, they're a lot. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm scared of, I don't know if I'm scared of any animal. I feel like the, in the clinic setting, I'm most wary of like a husky probably. Yeah, you've been bit a bunch lately, I feel yeah. like. Maya's husky, got a few I don't have good lately. luck with huskies. I love huskies outside the clinic, but inside the clinic they're, yeah. I've, not had good luck with them, yeah, so I feel like I'm very wary. With Sierra's afraid of monkeys. Yes, yeah, Sierra's yeah. really afraid of monkeys. Like so afraid of monkeys that we can just tease her that we've got a monkey coming in and she'll go in a pile. So we get a lot of <laughs> we get a lot of mileage out of that. So I read an article that mentioned Michelle that when your parents would watch your show, there would be scenes that made them worry about you. <laughs> yeah. How often? Do you worry about your daughters with the career paths that they've chosen? Oh, well, I mean, right now they're working with me. So, yeah, I'm worried. <laughs> <laughs> kind of knowing the, you know, knowing the the dangers of what we're doing. And 
but but also like they're so capable that I just I just feel like they know you know I, I, I feel like they're more warning our camera crew they're more turning and telling you know assistants or people are with us like watch out for this watch out for that I feel like they're so it's so second nature to them that they're really they've got you know like Maya said head on a swivel always got your out you know so mm -hmm. that's that's really cool but of course things happen so I do worry because we're often you know you have a bison anesthetized it's 2,000 pounds I mean one flick of its head you know can really be pretty detrimental so it's you know trying to have everyone just be aware and stay back because anesthesia isn't perfect you know so it's those things are I feel like I have to worry tough. about you more than you have to worry about me really in the field yeah Aww. the cow I knew you were going to bring that up so ridiculous. <laughs> um, we were in like a, just a corral, pretty small. We got some wild cows. On Kodiak Island. That, that was we cool. That we were working on. Cool yeah, ranch. Yeah, really cool. It's, it's on the show. I'm not sure. Yeah. When, but anyway, um, we're all working on this cow and we're just about to like let it up. It's, it's angry. It's had enough of us. It wants to. Oh, I castrated it. it. That's yeah. why it was angry. Exactly. Yeah. And. Mm. There, we have all of our vet gear stored in this uh, little shed that's in the in the corral, and the cow gets up and starts heading towards the shed. And I was like, "Leave the gear." It was gonna trash our gear. We yeah, needed that gear. Gonna, We're in the middle of nowhere. It was about to go into the shed and have yeah. a rodeo by itself with the vet gear and <laughs> trash it all. But the last thing you would want to do is go and trap yourself in on the rodeo yeah. to try and save the vet gear. But she yeah. went sprinting in to get the vet gear and we had to basically yeah, next pull thing you I was in the, the corner. side of like a yeah. window of the shed corner. or something. I was in the corner <laughs> of the shed and that freaking longhorn cow, cow was or steer or a bull. He was a bull. He was a steer then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not happy about it. But he was standing there just like 10 feet away from me, just his head down, just staring at me. And I was in the corner and there was nowhere to get away. And then I was like, And I uh -oh. yelled at you like four times while you were running over there. I didn't hear there. you. Yeah, you did. And did I, I said it before. I said, what if he goes in there, don't go in there. I wasn't listening then. Yeah. And then I, but then luckily that corner of the shed had a loose board. So I pushed in the corner and I actually got out through the boards. Yeah. That was so lucky because he was going to. Oof. Yeah, that was dangerous. You're right. That was dangerous. I shouldn't have done that. But you know, you're in the. I don't know. Anyway, no excuses. I'm not gonna try. I'm not gonna no try. No excuses. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like your work puts you in a unique position to witness climate change? Oh yeah. I mean, just living in the north puts you in a unique position to see it, like so firsthand. Because first of all, when you're living in the north, like, you know, up in Alaska and the Yukon and northern Canada or Scandi, whatever, it's most of what you do is climate dependent, you know, maybe not. I mean, maybe if you work in an office, but there's so many of us who have outdoor jobs who are, you know, outside all the time who you have to just, you know, where you have to just plug your truck in to drive away the next day. So, you know, you're always kind of in tune with what's going on with the weather. And so those big swings and, you know, the swings in temperature when it's really cold or really warm or flooding it just seems so obvious and then you know we're in the field we're, we're outside working all the time so mm -hmm. you know we're dealing with crazy winter floods and horrible weather in the winter that you know yeah it warmed up but then it just dumped a bunch of rain which melted all the snow which you know caused all this flooding and it's so hard on the animals too so um you know we really need the cold up here all these animals are adapted to it and 
when you see how we, we get these, you know, big swings and it's not just warming, it's just these strange changes in the weather that we haven't had, you know, that's what's hard on the animals because they can't, mm -hmm. they just can't adapt when it's that fast or that extreme. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot. We see it. And, and just having been up here, you know, now 28 years in the North, like that's not that long compared to other people who've lived here longer, but even in those, you know, nearly three decades, I've seen so much change in the weather where it used to be really, you know, it seems like the first 15 years, it was pretty typical. You know, you'd get your, you know, couple weeks of 40 below two or three times a winter, but you know, the rest of the time you'd have your, you know, cold weather and it would stay cold through the winter and you'd have, you know, this, not now it's like, it's just, you just can't predict it. It, mm -hmm. it's all of these crazy rain, you know, rain in the middle of winter and tons of snow, then no snow. And it just seems really uh, just unpredictable, I guess. That's, that's hard for the animals. And then, you know, then there is the research that's showing like the, the bigger holes in the ozone layer, like over the Yukon and Alaska. And it's definitely more, the, the degree changes is definitely more magnified in the North and South poles than elsewhere. So that's, that's really a problem, but it's, you know, we need to, still pay attention to that. We don't need to be overwhelmed by it. I think we just need to deal with it, you know, start making the changes where we can. It's same, you know, and even, I mean, climate change is, is definitely a huge issue, but also plastics, like that is mm -hmm. one of my biggest concerns. And I do some marine mammal rescue work with Alaska Department of Fish and Game and some of these other groups and, you know, disentanglements and we're doing some other satellite studies to see their movements. And, you know, there's so much garbage in the ocean and that's up here in Alaska. I can't imagine what it's like elsewhere. And it's, mm -hmm. and that is something, you know, where a lot of people are like, they want to be a vet or they want to, you know, they want to help in some way. And it's like, well, I, I can't fix that myself. So awesome. Let's all work together. And that's something that really gets me excited is let's all work around some of these issues of if you want to make a difference, okay, let's find ways we can all make a difference together around plastics, around the climate change. And you can see how these big movements of people can make a difference like they have in the last couple of years. Like that's mm -hmm. people coming together and forcing companies to change how they're doing things. That's, that's what it's about. And what kinds of changes in the environment and also in animal behavior have you noticed? Definitely just unpredictable snow patterns, snow and melting. That's, that's probably the biggest one. I guess well, flooding, flooding is huge. Yeah. Flooding from like strange snowfalls and melts. I mean, here in Haines, Alaska, we had, Last year we had a uh, dump of snow on your birthday in December. Gone, yeah, dump of snow, then two days of rain. I think we had what, like 12 or 14 inches of rain in a few hours. It was, it was just incredible. And that brought all the snow down from the mountains and that caused huge landslides here in Haines. And it, our town became a disaster area like that. I mean, a couple beautiful people lost their lives. Houses, there was mudslides and avalanches. It sh just shoved huge hills fell off the mountain and took all the houses with them. And it was just like, just unbelievable to see that, you know, and still, still in town, you look over at the mountainside and see this big scar of where things just slid in and to remember how everyone was, you know, and, that, and of course that's just here in Haines, Alaska, then, you know, be, and that's why it's, it's so big to us, but it's like happening everywhere all over with these big catastrophic weather events that you know we need and to... you see that animals migrations are all changing yeah right their environment obviously right so. yeah those are big big things that we have to you know not get overwhelmed by pay attention to and work together to 
you know, to force or come around to or create new options for, you know, the, the different things we're putting out into the environment. Would you say that you've learned anything from working so closely with nature and all kinds of animals for as long as you have? And I'm sure you've learned many things, but if, if you were to kind of maybe encapsulate all those things. Yeah, I mean, when you're working with so many different animals in nature, I mean, it is such a big picture. And I guess that's what I'm seeing is, you know, it's just, it's understanding that, that big picture that's out there, the ecosystem. And you always hear about this is the ecosystem. You need all these different parts. You need, you know, predator and prey and you need habitat, but it's, it, it, it really is important to have all of those balance that balance yeah to have all those parts there to be looking after even the the little creatures it's not just the big exciting megafauna you know like the moose and the bears Mm -hmm. you know but the the little things the pika you know those little teeny rock rabbits the Mm -hmm. different birds the all the you know animals in the ocean like that's all when you get a change from one thing it's going to affect everything so it's just sort of you know knowing that that matters i guess another thing that I, i feel like i've learned is that when we went to Australia in the face of those wildland fires a couple of years ago, we were hearing that there was, you know, millions, if not billions of animals that had died from the fires and were dying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was, you know, we were raising money and getting ready to go. And we had this really cool fish skin technique and all this technology and to take over there. And then we started hearing these numbers. And, and frankly, I felt like quitting and returning everybody's money and not going. And it was like, God, what are we going to do? You know, like, what can we do? And then, you know, we got over there and we did find quite a few individuals, quite a few animals that we helped and did something. And we shared some technology that I think really got a lot of people thinking of how they could have maybe helped and saved some animals because of the the fish skin is such a cool technology for birds and not so hard to do in the field. Anyway, that whole thing. And I just, I would say the one thing I've learned from all of this is not to let these huge, impressive, overwhelming numbers shut me down. Like it's, it doesn't matter to me if I only helped one animal. That is one soul that had the right to be on this planet, just like me and to live its life. Mm -hmm. And I want it to, and I want to see that through. And I know it's not the whole big population picture that I didn't save a population, but I saved some individuals that will create other individuals that had the right to be here. And I want that to happen. And it also, you know, that inspires other people. Hopefully they, other people saw that and cared and people who watched the show saw me going over there and cared and they gave money and they, you know, put their heart into it too and sent messages. And, you know, it just, anything you can do like that, even if it's only helping a few animals that also inspires and motivates people, that's important. And that's what I keep coming back to is so many people are wanting to help and they're like, I want to be a vet too, but I can't be, but I, I wish I could help. And it's like, Oh, but you can, you know, like, let's find Mm -hmm. a way, let's keep working together on these big issues because it's, it's all of us together making these changes. That's going to make the changes. It's not me as an individual vet helping you know, a hundred marsupials in Australia, even though I think that's important too. It's, it's both efforts in different places. You know, it's all of us helping and finding how we can. Yeah, that's great. I, I think that, um, maybe being younger, at least this is kind of how I was when I was younger is you want 
to help the most people or help, you know, in your situation, the most animals, Mm -hmm. but you realize that you're only one person Mm -hmm. and you can only do as much as you can do. And many times that's enough. Yeah. And I, yeah, it is. I mean, you're, and if everyone's doing that in their own way, it's a big, it's a big help overall, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's, it all adds up and we all can do it, find our own ways to make it work, make it to be of use. So basically just don't get discouraged Yeah. because if everyone got discouraged, then literally nothing would happen. Right. Yeah. Everyone just find ways to be motivated and motivate each other. I think it's. I agree. One thing you learned. Yeah, that's great. So from what I've read, it sounds like there was talk back in 2014 of actually ending the show. Do you mind talking about why that was and why you ultimately came back? I didn't know that. What year is 2014? Well, no. <laughs> what do you well, know, Cody, that I don't know? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's a yearly discussion it is a yearly, of yeah. whether we're going to do it again or yeah. not. Okay. So probably it was just more obvious back then. But yeah, it is. you're right. It is a yearly thing. Like we, And that's how it is for all of these shows. You don't know if you're going to be back again you're kind of you know and now disney owns nat geo and and seems really excited about the show now we're on disney plus mm-hmm. you know we keep getting we just got for the second time we got women women's image, image network awards which are really cool awards for like you know your, that your show is promoting a good strong image for women empowerment for women like all that that's awesome mm-hmm. and we get like a lot of parents choice awards where these are great shows for kids and you know there's not a lot of shows you can watch with your whole family and ours is one of them. So that's all those are good things that I think Disney continues to recognize. And, you know, we keep scoring high on that, you know, we're like in their top 35 shows on Disney plus for live streaming. So all those things are great. And I, so I would think that it's a combination of it's a family show. It shows our family. It can be watched by families. It shows a lot of strong women doing some pretty cool stuff. Like, and I'm not talking about me and Sierra and mine willow that that for sure that but a lot of the women a lot of people we work with on the show are women or they're women running their own farms or they're you know leading the wildlife center sarah howard leading the alaska wildlife conservation center is so tough you know so it's just like it's really mm-hmm. there's most some our, cool messages most of our producers and directors have all been women have been women yeah I remember yeah the last time we had a i know <laughs> but the That's guys great. we work with yeah. are great too you know what i mean so yeah. it's just a really cool team and the messages are good. And I think people are super interested in Alaska and the North and remote places. And, you know, they might be interested in vet shows, but our vet show has not only veterinary medicine, you know, and like some interesting things, but it's also got Alaska and the Yukon and wildlife rescue Mm -hmm. and helicopters and families and families working together. And, you know, there's just a lot of layers there that I think, um, you know, and like a huge star of our show is, the environment is the Alaskan and Yukon environment. That is like, we always talk about that. That is one of the main talents on our show. You know, it's, is that, mm-hmm. is that um, feature because we're always having to work around it with it, drama try to make queen. it work. Yeah. And she's a drama queen, isn't she? Man. Who was a drama queen? Alaska. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the environment, the, you know, she's a diva and she's tough to work with. And, you know, so it's, 
yeah, I think all of those things keep bringing people back and also watching the family change and grow up. I mean, that's really been pretty exciting for people. Yeah, it's a great one to binge, like you know, why it would have been in talks or whatever. I feel like that's just so it's yeah. so typical, especially yeah. with a whole group of well, our whole family being involved. It's like yeah. each year there's so there's so much change year to year. So it's yeah, like, it's like who's coming back? Yeah. Who's still here? Who, who you guys here? in? Who's left? Like just trying. so yeah, that's it's. I mean, this you know, Sierra just applied to vet school. If she gets, she applied to Australia, freaking kids. So if she gets in, she's gone. You know, she'll be gone in February. I think if she's allowed to go into Alaska, it could be yeah, online. If Australia, she gets in, and if if yeah. Australia is open, then so you know, it, it's always fluid with who's going to be here. Like Maya said, and who's not, and you know. Willow's kind of Willow hasn't been a big part of the show for the last few years, which is totally fine in her choice. Like she's just kind of, you know, she's been busy with school. She's a teenager, mm-hmm. you know, she's in volleyball. She's, you know, interested in other things. And every season she seems to kind of show up and help with something and it works out in its film like this, this new season 10. She's does the really cool work with us rescuing some kittens. So that'll be fun for people to see. To see Willow is a senior, you know, she's 17. And the last time yeah, a lot of people saw her, she was 10, you know, so it's kind of, <laughs> that's fun too, I think, for people to see everybody changing and growing up. And I'm just getting older, more wrinkles, but same jokes. <laughs> <laughs> wiser. I, I prefer wiser. <laughs> right. Thank you. Okay. That too. <laughs> well, that does it for my questions, Michelle and Maya. Thank you both for talking with me today about this incredible and unique career that you've both found yourself in. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Um, One thing I'd love to add is a really cool part of um, being on the show has been also like spilling it over into social media. And, and I have a TikTok addiction that I would love for people to support. (laughs) So it's been kind of fun. Maya's helped me a bit, but I do most of my own TikToks, don't I? Yeah. At UConn Vet, you gotta check it out because I mean, (laughs) right? Yeah. I'd pick some good music that people don't believe I picked that music. They think you did it. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, check out her TikTok. You can bet. So do you do dances? It's fun. Oh, oh, no. No. Oh, no, no. Okay. But I'm trying to. I'm I actually trying Willow to get. Willow would ban her. Yeah, Willow. Willow would mass report it. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would happen. I, that'd be the last draw for the embarrassing mom. But no, it's usually animal we should do. stuff, I think. No, we, we should, should do an that. animal. We should do a dance with Sarah at the Wildlife Center and get everybody lined up and do some one of those funny dances. Like, bus it. Oh, bus no, it. you can do it. Bus it. You can do it. Or something it. like that. <laughs> yeah. But no, the TikToks are fun because there are a lot of, we do a lot of cool, like, behind the scenes and animal footage. You know, stuff that people are seeing on the show, but then they don't get to see some of the behind the scenes, which is really funny. Like, we have some crazy bloopers that we've, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just fun that with the social media, I can get into it in a little more depth and you know, some of the science, but also some of the goofy things. So if you were to include animals in your TikTok dance that we've already established you're going to make, yeah, which which great, animals yeah. would you include? Well, I feel like if you're going to do it with Sarah, then just do it like in, in the bison pen. Oh, yeah. do it in the muskox pen with that yeah. old grumpy oh, muskox. She we could totally do it like you you, she that. would attack us. She would have that. We could be running away from animals dancing as we go. <laughs> we, I've done a lot of dances. Like sometimes when I'm trying to scare them away from something, I do a ooga, booga, 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 like to try to get them to go away. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of a dance dance. move. Yeah, sure.
you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash crude magazine. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alcoda Beats. 